It is your Wednesday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back again for another show. Good one coming up. Lavelle E. Neal III joins me here in just a few minutes to talk all sorts of stuff. Minnesota United, Emmanuel Reynoso, Minnesota Twins, lack of offense, and Byron Buxton being what seems to be a full-time DH right now. And we'll get to Dalvin Cook, uh, Vikings running back, at least for now. Lavelle thinks that tenure is going to come to an end soon. Reading the writing on the wall there, and I got to Lavelle about um, about his Blackhawks in Chicago and whether or not that uh, that draft lottery was rigged, like so many people wanted to say on Twitter the other day after they won the lottery coming up from not the top position to get that big market. Suspicious. We will see. Um, Twins continued their flailing, lost 6-1 to the Padres. Minnesota United won in the U.S. Open Cup in dramatic fashion after blowing a couple leads. Both of those dovetail nicely from my conversation with Lavelle, so we'll get to that at the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? Jaden McDaniels, uh, Timberwolves forward, not named to either the first or second team all-NBA defense on uh, on Tuesday a lot of Twitter outrage here, especially in the Twin Cities, a little bit nationally too. Um, so I kind of looked at it. I wanted I wanted to get into a little bit of that and kind of what goes into a snub, whether Jaden McDaniels was snubbed. But I've got a bigger subject branching from that that has to do with a different Timberwolves player. But we'll, we'll deal with we'll deal with McDaniels here for a minute. Um, I thought he had a good defensive season. I think he's a really good defensive player I think he's got a very bright defensive future was he snubbed I really don't think so I think he's a very good like I said a very good defensive player but look who finished above him in the voting look who was on the first two teams for forwards who else are you going to take off of the team yet Evan Mobley Jaron Jackson Jr., Draymond Green, and OJ Anubi. Uh, those are some. Those are four really good defensive players. He finished sixth among them. If there's a third team, he would have been on the third team. Um, Jaden McDaniels would have. I thought he was again a good player. Needs to foul less. Can guard a lot of different positions. Very versatile. A Swiss Army knife. He needs to get a little bit more consistent. He needs to get a little bit better. If he deserves to be on this team, his time will come. His time will come probably next year or the year after. He's got to build that reputation a little bit more. That's how these teams work. That's how this whole process works. That's how voting works. You do it enough times, and then you get yourself into that situation where you are going to get honored. So I don't really see it as a snub. I see it as Jade McDaniels is arriving. He's close. He's not all the way there yet. He'll get there someday soon. He's already very good, maybe not quite good enough to be in the top four or top two of forwards in the NBA, but uh, he'll he'll get there soon enough. Let's not worry about snubs. I don't really think he was snubbed. I thought he was a good player, and uh, he'll he'll continue to get better as long as he doesn't punch walls and as long as he continues to progress. Now, interesting, more interesting to me in all of this is that I didn't hear a single word about Rudy Gobert in any of this voting, and... For good reason. I don't think Rudy Gobert had a season that was worthy of being all NBA defense. But do you realize that Rudy Gobert um, was all NBA defensive team, first team, six years in a row? These last six seasons before being traded to the Timberwolves, he was an NBA all defense first team player from 2017 through 2022. He was the defensive player of the year in the NBA in 2018. 2019 and 2021 this year did not get a single vote not just not on one of the teams as the center 
That honor went to Brooke Lopez on the first team and uh, Bam Adebayo on the second team for Miami. Did not get a single vote, Rudy Gobert. Now, I don't know if he deserved a vote. I don't know if he's, you know, if reputation could have saved him. I just thought that was interesting because even last year, he was the runaway winner as the first team center in this category. So, a couple things off of that. Number one, didn't have a year that was necessarily worthy of it, but it wasn't as bad as maybe we think of it just because the trade appeared to be so lopsided. And by the way, Walker Kessler, the center from the center of the Wolves gave Utah, got one second place vote more than Rudy Gobert this season. But Gobert, you know, did not have a bad season. It just wasn't great by his standards. Defensive rating wise was still pretty good. Um, you know, thinking about like block percentage, he was 19th in the NBA. Usually he's top 10, had been top 10 for five, six, seven, eight years in a row. Um, a lot of the other advanced metrics were still pretty good, but again, not up to his, not up to his usual standards, not up to what he had been in the NBA. Still a good defensive rebounder. Looking at some more advanced metrics, defensive win shares. He was 14th in the NBA this season with 3.5 defensive win shares. So, a good season, but not a great season for Rudy Gobert. Now, the other point I want to make on this is that Tim Connolly gets rightly maligned for that trade. It it looks looks bad, looks really bad in retrospect, but Rudy Gobert was not the player this year that Tim Connolly thought he was trading for. This was an all-NBA first-team defensive player for six consecutive years, including three of those years winning Defensive Player of the Year. He was not that same player this year. He was a good, a very good defensive player, but he was not a difference-making elite defensive player, and that showed up in the voting this year. So want to give a little bit of a shout-out to kind of the trade and, and what what Tim Connolly was probably thinking he was getting and what Rudy Gobert produced this season. And for the fact that nobody's saying a single word about Gobert getting snubbed, not even getting a single vote, tells you how his performance this season completely was different than what he had showed in the, in in all those years in Utah completely showed that he was not the same player this year um that does not excuse the trade does not make it any more lopsided or any less lopsided I should say than it appears right now but this is not the player that thought they were getting if you would have thought at the beginning of the year that uh, Rudy Gobert would not get a single vote in the defensive player of the year all NBA defensive team uh voting that would not have been a great side and it did not turn out to be a great sign for the Wolves so Think about that as the years go on. Is he going to get any better? Should they have seen this coming? This was his age 30 season. He'll be 31 very soon. Should they have seen this coming? Should they have seen a regression coming? I don't know if you could have imagined this sort of regression from Gobert. So, bigger picture here is this. Jaden McDaniels not snubbed. Anthony Edwards got a couple votes, by the way. Good for Ant. Rudy Gobert, not a single vote for the defense. All NBA that's a surprise based on where we were at the start of the year. Not a surprise based on what the season played out and a terrible sign for the Wolves because they were not receiving the player they thought they were getting in this trade. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Good to be joined right now by Lavelle Neal III, columnist from the Star Tribune. Assume you made it back safely from your uh, journey to Canterbury uh, a few days ago for the, uh, the for the Derby. Did you have a good time out there? 
Oh, it was awesome. I got there about one o'clock in the afternoon and there was already a, a good uh, amount of uh, people there, you know, betting on the preliminary races. But, you know, the bonnets were already out, you know, and the, the weird uh, fashion um, assemblies were, were out already with the pink jackets and the red ties and the white shoes and the blue pants, you know, <laughs> those are already out, out in force. And it just got louder and louder. And I, I made a point just to kind of hit all three levels of Canterbury just to kind of run, talk to people about what they were thinking and and things like that. And, um, you know, I got some, you know, interesting, you know, uh, responses to two fills and to Jeff Loveberry and, uh, and the possibility of Canterbury having like a connection to a Derby victory, you know? So, um, it was, it was entertaining. Um, the couple I said, are you guys going to bet for two fills? And the woman said, should we, I just, <laughs> just, just cracked me up. Right. You know? so I, I like getting that atmosphere to, into my story but i'm telling you mike when uh when two fields came around that final turn and headed for home the roar at canterbury was unbelievable it was like this the press box almost was rumbling you know um at the possibility that there was gonna be a local tie to this thing but uh he still ran a great race second is nothing to sneeze at you know you think about what it takes to win a derby um but uh it was a great day out there was a great day out there and it was a big um big weekend potentially for Minnesota United because they got uh, Emmanuel Reynoso is back in town. Um, he's kind of going through some, you know, some testing, see where his fitness is at. We, we still don't know a whole lot about kind of where, where he is in terms of actually getting onto the pitch, what his teammates might think of all this, but he is at least here. You've heard Adrian Heath talk about it a couple times. Now we've had heard some of his teammates already kind of chime in on this. What is your what is your take on this? We've talked about this a couple of times when he was missing for these many months. Um, now that they've gotten him out of Argentina and back here, what do you, what do you think is a realistic timetable and expectation for for how this situation plays out? I'm thinking if this is like a training camp scenario. Um, the unanswered question, Mike, about this is that where is he at mentally? Yeah. Um, if did he just come here because he got tired of people begging him to come and he's just trying to placate them? Or has he gotten over whatever personal ministry he had and is ready to get on the pitch, you know, and train and and combine with his teammates? Um, I'm still thinking that three weeks and oh, maybe a month. That's the way I see it, because um, right now I, God, I'm not trying to sound like a patient and it gets it gets used too much. But I just want to know what his mental health is right now uh, about where he has his player. Where he has, where he is uh, on on the loons and what the loons are thinking about him because I'm guessing uh, you know teammates can be like you kind of turned your back on this man uh, you know we were here in the in the in the foxhole and you weren't with us you know and you did it by your own volition uh, that would be concerning to me as a player he, so uh, Ray's got to say a lot of things to his teammates to to get them to understand that he's back on board and they're gonna get him you know 100 physically and mentally you know to do this thing. Adrian Heap's got to make sure there's harmony in the, in the locker room um, between all this as well. Um, he pretty much tore up his, you know, Adrian likes to score goals. Yes. Well, it's been a, it's a bit of a problem. And he, <laughs> he pretty much redid his entire attack without Ray to become more defensive minded, you know? So what's that transition now? So you just re do you tear everything up again automatically, you know, change things to include Ray or do you do a gradual changing or do you put Ray in the middle of that situation and you play the same compact defense, but you just have one guy who can, you know, unlock the unlock the door to the other team's defense. You know, when it's time when you guys turn when they turn the ball over and get in the transition. So I 
I just think there's a lot of ten tentacles to this that we don't know about. You know, first of all, why in the hell did he decide he needed to stay in Argentina? Um, so they got to make sure he's in the right place. Then he's got to be in fit. We don't know yeah. if he was playing or working out. We don't know what his fitness level is. So I'm saying at least three weeks and maybe a month just before we could probably see Ray in the uniform. And this was easier earlier in the year when they were winning without him, right? When they right. were getting results, when they were, you know, winning a lot of low scoring matches because defense has been what's been carrying them. But since they've been winless here in, I think it's now five straight MLS matches, you know, they scored a couple times at the night, but they gave up three in Vancouver. That was a little bit uncharacteristic, but usually it's been, you know, one nil, zero, nil, nil in one, in one game, a couple of games ago, they just haven't been able to score. And when you're struggling to win and struggling to score, you draw a direct line between your missing playmaker, your missing all-star, and then it becomes even, even more heightened. Yeah. You know, they, they kind of hit the Ted Lasso stage of this where they can't get a positive result for <laughs> Ted like, Lasso. <laughs> stage. Nice. Yes. <laughs> well, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm check, catching up on Lasso and uh, the first year in the champions league, they, uh, they like tied their first seven matches of the year, you know? So, and then they actually lost, but they celebrated for breaking the tie streak. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know if the loons are ready to celebrate if They can just uh, kick the streak to the curb, but uh, yeah. Um, and like I said, Adrian, you know, likes to attack. He's had, he's had trouble finding a number nine. He just has, uh, you know, it's too bad. Someone more polished can't get on the end of sort of raise passes. Um, and uh, and put the ball in the net. I keep thinking I'm Maria. I'm Maria should be that guy, but he just he just can't take that next step forward, man. So I, I'm a little baffled at that. And he's got some new pieces he needs to work in. Um, it's still early in the MLS season, so this team can change his personality. It depends if the players are ready to let it happen, if agents ready to let it happen, and if Ray is ready to come in and play um, uh, the way he's normally played. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's one of the more fascinating stories. And I feel like it's, you know, the Loons, Minnesota United, they're, you know, they're definitely in the echelon of, you know, major tier sports here, but they, they don't get, you know, they don't get the attention of obviously of the Vikings or Twins or even still the, the Wild and Wolves. I feel like if this was happening, if this story had played out with, you know, the Vikings best player or the, you know, the Wolves best player. Let's you know, I guess we you know, Towns was out for a long time, but that's different. You know, he was injured. If there was just somebody missing from one of those teams for months on end, it, this would have been a, a much bigger, differently covered story. I still, I, it's still significant, but I would have been interested to see, you know, if, if soccer was a little bit further along in this market, yeah. <clears throat> how this story would have, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of angst this would have caused with the general sporting public. Exactly. I mean, look at the worldwide uh, reaction to Lionel Messi, you know, going on a trip uh, without the team uh, right. uh, proving it and getting, you know, suspended for two weeks. I mean, that was like worldwide news uh, over that, you know, and next thing you know, Messi's uh, going to leave uh, PSG when his contract runs out. So um, and everybody's like following every move. Is this the time he comes to MLS? Will he go back to Barcelona? You know, what's going to happen here? I just I always thought that Messi would end up playing in MLS somehow. And that we'll, we would sign him to a David Beckham like contract for a couple of years. Uh, it's, I know he has a he has a home in Miami, and it just makes sense for him to go play for Inter Milan. I will I would let it happen if I was the league. It'd be for the greater good of the league. But um, it did, the Reynoso thing did not have the same impact, you know. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, if uh, the same thing would happen with like Paxton Palmer calling Dallas or or uh, 
are one of the stud players that God, Philadelphia has a great farm system. One of the stud players Philadelphia has, you know, if they went on a holdout and didn't show up, how much um, that would, uh, you know, if Kellen Acosta decided not to, you know, play with that right. be big news. I don't know. We're not there because if Justin it doesn't Jefferson resonate. doesn't it doesn't just, hit the same. Yeah. If Justin Jefferson doesn't show up to Vikings practice, yeah. you know, there's purple blood flowing through the streets of the yeah. Twin Cities. Like when Stefan you know? Diggs was doing kind <laughs> yeah. of some of this stuff. That was like daily news. Exactly. We don't get that type of interest in in uh in the in the uh, round ball game instead of no. the pointy ball game. <laughs> no. Well, speaking of uh, some some other round ball games, you wrote last week that you think it's time for the Twins to get Byron Buxton you know, sooner rather than later back into center field, at least on, on a part-time basis because of his value there. We all know how good of a, of a center fielder he is, you know, platinum glove caliber. He's won that award before. Um, but we read in, you know, today and in Carlos Correa talked about it on the broadcast a couple nights ago that he's kind of, They've kind of talked Buxton into this being at least more of a, a medium to long-term solution to preserve his health, this, this DHing business. And that, you know, Correa was, was part of the, uh, the lobbying effort he cooked him a nice dinner and, you know, kind of got him to, to, to accept this role. Well, brainwashed him. Brainwashed him. That's your word for it. What do you, what do you think of all this? Ah, uh, I, I, I get that. I get the desire to keep him on the field. His history isn't great. You know, um, you know, I talked to Derek Falvey before I wrote that column. And, you know, Falvey's like, it's working right now. You know, um, former Pioneer Press beat writer Gordon Wintermeyer, who lives in Chicago, just did a he did a freelance story when the Twins were in Chicago and talked to Buxton. Buxton was like, well, it's working this way. You know, it seems like everybody's comfortable with this. And I'm like, no, do not be comfortable. The weather's getting better. Your offense is struggling. You know, and at the time I was making my plea, I was imagining a lineup with, with Kirilov, Larnick, Gallo and Bucks and then Correa all in it, you know, um, since then, Larnick hit the skids and got sent down. So that allowed Kirilov to come up and just move in the first base seamlessly with Gallo, you know, assuming left field. So it, they didn't have to like do anything drastic to try to accommodate this or speed up the move Bucks in the center fielder train that I, I've been trying to ride on here. I just think that when you have a five, two player, uh, you're living, you're limiting him by being a DH. Uh, he's not putting all his tools on the field. And therefore, you, you, you can't, you're not going to be the best team you can be. Uh, I understand being careful about Buxton, uh, who has an injury history. But, you know, his first injury last year is when he uh, slid in the second base. I want to say in Boston. He also got, like, hit with a pitch in the hand, wrist area. Um, as soon as you step on the field, there's a risk of getting injured, you know. And the other thing, too, your risk of injury increases if you don't go at things 100%. You know, so I hope he's, I hope he's not. I, well, here's the thing. Is he 100% uh, healthy, too? Is he favoring a knee at all? Because he does not look as fast as, he, as he's looked two, three years ago. Um, are there some other factors here that we, we, we don't know? But I all I know is this, is that the Twins are at the best when, when Buxton is in the lineup as a hitter and as a defender. I know they have Michael Taylor, and that drop-off is much less worse than when Buxton was out and J.K. played center last yes. year. I get that. Um, but uh, Buxton is still a brilliant outfielder with a great arm, and he can just have so much an impact on the game on a daily basis if he's doing everything he can do, and that makes the, t- the Twins a better team, and that's all I was pointing out with Colin. Well, that's good, and I, I agree with that. I think and you, the, the point about the tools is a good one, too, because if you're a five-tool player and you're really only using like 
one or two of those tools right now. He's not running much. They have they entered they entered Tuesday Lavelle with nine stolen bases this year as a team. And I think Taylor's got like five of them, maybe like they are not running at all. I think they're tied for last in the majors. Like there's been a little bit of a not a speed renaissance, but the, you know, the bigger bases and the step off rules being what they are, it's has has influenced the running game a little bit, just not here. He used to be a guy that was a threat anytime he got on first base. He's not that threat anymore. So if you're taking away speed, defense, and the throwing arm that he has, you're limiting his tools really to power because he's not an average hitter. Right, right, right. And um, at least I did see him. He put the uh, he put the 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 oven mitt on when he got the first base during the Cleveland series. So okay, uh, at least at least there's a possibility, uh, and that might just be, be protecting him if he tries to go from first to third in a single, but uh, still the fact he was wearing it, that gives me hope that uh, he'll try to steal a couple bags here, here now and then. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the Pittsburgh uh, pirates are like on pace, for like 260 stolen bases this year, yeah. you know, um, but the twins don't have that many fast players. Buxton's one of them. You mentioned Taylor, um, you know, Polanco isn't a burner. Kepler isn't a burner. Gallo. No, Kirilov. No, Larnick. No, Miranda. Hell no. <laughs> Brea, nope. You know, it's, yeah, so know. they know what they are because in spring training, they weren't practicing. They, they weren't working on uh, stolen bases as much as they were working on going from first to third because of the end of the, the end of the shift and being yeah. aggressive in a base pass. I mean, they're they're trying to accentuate the best parts of themselves, and they know that base stealing is not one of their best parts. So <laughs> they know that, and I think they're 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 just realizing. Uh, the talent level on the roster, it's more geared toward hitting line drives and home runs. So yeah, um, let's see what happens because uh, they need something to get the offense going. I'm hoping Kirilov could be a part of that. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to get you on one more thing before we go. You mentioned to me, and I think you wrote about this a little bit the other day, you predicted Dalvin Cook is going to get cut, I believe, at some point here. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a, a far-fetched notion at all. It just feels like a weird place that he's still on the roster. They don't need to do anything yet, but they're going to have to sign their draft picks at some point. They don't have much cap space. Like something's got to give here, and that seems like kind of the obvious move if he's not going to, you know, take a reduced salary and a reduced role. What, what's your thinking there? Yeah, it sounds like uh, they've been at a standstill as far as trying to get him to rework his deal, and. Um, I think that's going to be problematic if they tried to trade him. Uh, the team has to take on that that contract. Of course, a trade could happen if the the team that's trading for him reworks a deal. That's something that's more amenable for him. But uh, I, I don't see it happening this late in the game. And uh, I could easily see Cook getting cut and him just latching on somewhere. You know, there's a for some reason. Um, Miami Dolphins fans still want him despite right. their their running back situation being altered, you know. Um and you know, I think I think they got a bare chance of catching uh keeping Sedaria Smith, who, you know, we all know he famously put his house in the market late in the season. And then uh I heard a couple weeks later that uh the agent uh contacted the a realtor in town and said, Well, we sh- shouldn't have sold the house too quick. We're gonna try to find a one year rental. So uh, <laughs> it, there, there it sounds like uh, they're going to try to work something out to keep him in town, but have not heard any positive vibes on the, on the Dalvin cook front. And when, when you're making, was he making 6 million next year? I just, I think his don't... cap numbers like 14 million next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it's that high, I mean, it's just, I, I can't, it, it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to work out an agreement to, um, to restructure his deal. And you're definitely, no one's going to want to trade for that contract. No one is. So that's why I think a cut is going to be the most likely outcome. Yeah, that feels like it too. I mean, it's just, it's, 
it's crazy too how how much we age running backs especially in this league how their value just plummets once they hit 26 27 like it's hard for these guys to get sometimes a second contract let alone a third contract and he's still you know still a good productive player i think we've heard some stuff that they're looking maybe for some more efficiency in the running game and that they didn't think he was you know that he was missing some stuff last year that he he normally would have had that he's still a good that he still hits the home runs, but he doesn't hit a lot of singles and doubles that they could use to get into more favorable, uh, you know, second down distances. And that's maybe what they like about Alexander Madison and maybe some of their other options. But, you know, he's a guy that's been, you know, he, he was important. You know, he had long runs against Buffalo and Miami games that they needed him to to break one. So it's it's interesting to think about their offense without him, you know, even even if you can even if it makes sense that they would move on from him. You know, there's here. Here's a headline here. Vikings trade proposal flips Dalvin Cook to Buffalo. Now, I heard this rumor a couple months ago that uh, Dalvin would go to Buffalo and play with his brother. Right, his brother's they just, there, yeah. they, just, they just signed Latavius Murray. Yeah. Like, right after the draft is over. So, I, like, I don't think that's a destination possibility anymore, you know? So, um, and he's, he turns 28 in August, so he's right in that range now. You got to right. get a little, be a little careful about... Uh, the, the mileage and the wear and tear. And you know, and didn't he have didn't he have surgery during the offseason for on that shoulder? He did, yeah. He had offseason <clears throat> surgery. So um yeah, I just just the, it's not trending in the right direction to me. Yeah, no. I just think that it's gonna he's gonna end up in another uniform somehow before next yeah, season. Makes again. sense. Um one last thing, Lavelle, you're a Chicago guy. Are you enjoying the rigged draft lottery that brought your Blackhawks uh, sour grapes, sour grapes, you know. Yeah, the, the original sixteen gets propped up again by the league. Yeah, I heard that before. You know, all I know is this Blackhawks sold almost two million of season tickets right after the draft lottery last night. Uh and um they succeeded in their uh goal to tank. Um, yes. Finishing second is not that bad because there's another center out of the University of Michigan named Fratelli who's pretty damn good himself. So um, everybody is convinced that he's the second best player in the draft after Bedard. So and Fratelli, I think it is. I hope it is. I wasn't pronouncing that correctly. He's six two. Bedard's five nine. You know, be happy with finishing second. Um, as Anaheim Mighty Ducks. So um, I'm happy. I mean, it's been it's been the the last few years have been rough, you know, watching Taves and Kane's, you know, final decent seasons of their career kind of go wasted and all the trades they made. They traded Kirby Doc. They they traded a couple of the young guys with upside. Alex Debrinkit, you know, uh, it's almost like they're purposely trying to tick off Kane to, to get him to ask right. for a trade. They may have succeeded. But uh, this is a start. You know, this is a start of the rebirth here with uh, Mr. Bedard. Well, we'll see. Could be. Um, enjoy all the rigged outcomes that these big markets get. No, it never happens here, except uh, they have had a couple. Wolves had have, have had a couple number one overall picks in the last decade, so I don't think the deck is quite. We're not going to start talking about Wolves draft history, are no. we? No, no, we don't have time for that today. Maybe another time, maybe in June. <laughs> oh, God. That's all a right, two-part series. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, take care. Bye. Always great catching up with Lavelle. Two postscripts to our conversation. Let's use those to finish up. With the cooler, number one, who needs Emmanuel Reynoso? Loon scored three times against Philadelphia in the U.S. Open Cup on Tuesday night. Lose a couple leads, a 2-0 lead and a 3-2 lead, but advance on penalty kicks to the round of 16. Good win for the Loons. Get to win at home for the first time all season. Play Wonderwall at Allianz. So that's a big win for them. Maybe they can get some momentum going in the right direction for them. Got some offense, found some things, even without Reynoso back to... Uh, 
you know, back in the lineup, back to full strength. So we'll see where that leads them. Again, it's not a league match. It's a U.S. Open Cup match, but it gets them into the round of 16 and that kind of separate tournament of, of all levels of U.S. soccer. So good for them, good win, good dramatic win for them. You know, it looked like they were going to give it, looked like they gave it away a couple times late, but ended up rallying and getting that win, getting them in a penalty kick. So, you know, we'll see where that takes them for the rest of the year. Now, the Twins did not solve their offensive problem. Lose 6-1 to to the Padres, made three errors in the seventh inning. Carlos Correa, 0-5, two strikeouts. His batting average continues to plummet. Uh, maybe you should have Byron Buxton over for dinner. They can talk about something else. Maybe Carlos Correa taking a day off or something like that because it is not good for Carlos Correa right now. He is hitting right now. Let me look that up really quick. He is hitting 185 right now, 185 on the season after going 0 for 5 with two strikeouts, left some guys on base in this game. Tough for him, tough for a lot of the guys in the lineup. Only six hits after that terrible road trip where they averaged about six hits a game. That is not going to get it done. Wasted another good outing from Louis Varlin. The starting pitching certainly doing its job. Hitting continues to be the problem for this team continues to be the issue, continues to be a struggle. And until it gets better, it's it's going to be dicey for this team. I know that the pitching can take them a certain way. I think that I think the pitching will will hold up for most of this season. If they don't get a little bit more hitting though, at least consistently, uh this is going to be a season that's going to be frustrating. They they might still, you know, probably still good enough to win the AL Central if they can hit just enough. But when will these bats wake up? It's just it's frustrating to watch right now that everybody going so poorly in this lineup right now. It is hard to watch and it is hard to understand how it is going to get any better. But these are good hitters. These they, there's there's got to be something that turns the tide. We'll see what happens, but not good on Tuesday night once again. And that will do it for me today. Chip Scoggins coming up on Thursday's show live and in the studio. That should be fun, getting him in the Star Tribune studio. So listen for that on Thursday. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. We'll talk to you later.